0: Luke, my friend, Ghost, Xbox Expansion Pass podcast, my friend. Thank you very much for deciding to come on this whole shenanigans of a show. I appreciate it, taking the time um, out of your schedule. You got a full-time job. You got the whole thing going on. Uh, You got the podcast. You're all over the place. You're all over my internet. I can tell you that right now. I can see you on XCast. I'm excited. Uh, Your Twitch, everything. But for anybody new that has jumped in uh, chatting with us today, Luke, give us a little bit of the rundown and the spiel What's your deal, who you are, where you hail from, and what's the show all about?
1: Oh, man, that is, that's a, that's a lot. I can Indeed. give you the life story. First, I'm going to hit you with that follow like everybody else should do. Uh, somehow, I wasn't following you on Twitch, and that has been rectified. Good, sir. <laughs> oh, man, the story of what XEP is, the Xbox Expansion Pass, is yep. that what you'd like to know? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, if you're unfamiliar, the Xbox Expansion Pass is a solo show that I do uh, with the intention of having an analytical look at the gaming verse, particularly how it pertains to the Xbox ecosystem, so we'll take uh, news in. You know, if about if it's about the DualSense in the PlayStation Five, we'll take that in, look at how that may or may not impact Xbox, uh, and I'll discuss it there. And then one of the goals of the show is to expand our knowledge of the gaming industry, and I do that by having guests on. From all aspects, whether they are voice actors, whether they're producers at places like IGN or GameSpot, uh, people like Andrea Renee, maybe people like uh, Stephen Spawn, who works at, at bringing uh, video games to people with with all levels of disabilities, right. uh, top to bottom. He's definitely all over the news now, and he, he was on the show about a year ago. I just enjoy having people on to share their aspect of the gaming verse, And we also have on developers as well. I keep saying we, it's me, but I feel like it's a team effort, you know?
0: I do the exact same thing. And I've been like, hey, uh, we're doing this today. We did that, and people are like, oh, you got you got a team there. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's very much just a solo act.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, True, what man. have
0: you been? Um, as I personally, I've been a fan of your show, and it's. I was telling uh, people in chat that the way I stumbled upon your content was actually through Snowbike Mike because I was watching Mike's stream one time, and he was just like, hey, go check out Luke. Um, you were over on Mixer before and mm-hmm. then when mixer shut down you actually migrated over to Twitch and at that mm-hmm. time you were just when i when i landed on your stream uh you had just been starting to come up and i think even talking to you on your stream for the first few you were like yeah i'm i'm a week after mixer shut down how mm-hmm. was that transition for you going from mixer to now twitch and how things are now for you
1: well uh it was a mixed bag because when Mixer went down, it, it, it threw a lot everything for a loop, right? It, it threw everything that I had planned to do as far as content creation. I was enjoying Mixer. I genuinely think the technology of Mixer w- was far superior to Twitch. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the infrastructure, but the technology behind it. Um, and I enjoyed the journey because I was streaming straight from my Xbox. So right. I was doing it on console, no PC. I was using a program called Lightstream, which is like a web-based OS, Uh, or OBS, I should say. And you could do all your overlays through that. The transition to Twitch was difficult. It went very well. I hit affiliate quickly. Mm -hmm. However, my day job is a middle school teacher. And we went to virtual full-time for this first half of the year. And so I became a professional streamer during my day job. (laughs) And uh, I couldn't do all the camera time, if I'm being honest with you. It was too much camera time in one day. And so I pretty much backed away from streaming and focused instead on the podcast and XEP uh, and getting guests on. And that's been that's been my my joy. And you mentioned Snowbike Mike. That's one of the best human beings uh, on this planet. He's a a great kid. Yeah,
0: I mean he's dude. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to because I don't have a ton of time with you because you got a job. I also have a job. But I'm, and like you, I've been, I transitioned to working at home. So Mm -hmm. that's, it's a big adjustment and knowing, um, coincidentally, I'm actually a family of teachers, um, and like the whole family other than me. Um, but them and friends that are teachers as well, knowing that, you know, they've had to switch gears completely here in Toronto Mm -hmm. where so many of them have switched to online learning with their classes, and how much of a shift that is not only for the students, cause it's massive for just the way they have to learn. Um, but the impact on teachers and how much they have to prep and change the way they do it. It is not as simple as just, okay, sure. I turned on zoom and here we go class. Right. Like, um, so I applaud you for taking that on because it is a massive, massive challenge from every, for everybody, for, for the parents, for the teachers and for the students. It's huge. Um, so, and like for my kids, they're, they're tiny, tiny, but they're in school and they're physically going, um, and some of them, their friends are staying home, they're doing online and there's, yeah, it's a real, real struggle. Um, mm-hmm. what I did want to talk to you, cause I don't have a ton of time with you. Uh, but what I wanted to talk to you was obviously Xbox is your bread and butter and Xbox mm-hmm. is where you live. Um, mm-hmm. your most recent episode was really talking about Xbox, Phil Spencer's comments regarding, uh, like tribalism within the gaming industry. I was wondering if you'd be willing to s- expand on that piece that you have from like your show from that episode. Um, mm-hmm. Give me your thoughts and insights on what do you think Phil's really talking about kind of the Cole's notes of it? And then what's mm-hmm. your perspective and opinion on that, on that idea of tribalism within the gaming industry, like console wars, the whole thing and where we're at today?
1: Mm-hmm. There was a lot, uh, there was a lot to take away. He was talking to The Verge, Uh, when he was doing the interview, and he had a lot of quotes come out about it. Uh, Kind of the first one that stuck out to me in that was that they don't look at the entertainment business. uh, They don't have a direct competitor. Let me rephrase that. Let me step back because I don't want to put words in his mouth by accident. His direct quote was, we're in the entertainment business. The biggest competitor we have is apathy over the products and services and games that we build. And I interpreted that to to mean that while he recognizes that they have direct competitors per se in something like sony and nintendo some traditional console war esque type discussions uh and even stadia and luna to a future extent rather he meant that in an age where xbox came in third Mm -hmm. in terms of console sales in the xbox one generation uh, they were extremely profitable and their attach rate was through the the wazoo their subscription numbers went up their biggest combatant and their their biggest problem would be apathy on on the, the on the terms of the buyer the consumer right. if they were apathetic to the brand and that was simply not true and i find that to be particularly of note because uh by comparison to sony who is i, I would suppose their most one to one competitor at present yeah. they do not have the exclusive exclusives anywhere close to to one another in terms of quality or intended audience. A lot of single player games on the Sony side um, that are brilliant and well worth your time and a lot of multiplayer focused stuff over on the Xbox side. You can be competitive to one another. However, they both made gobs and gobs of money. Both companies were very profitable. Microsoft Microsoft themselves posted record profits and that was, was brilliant. So I appreciated the apathetic part of his statement, but what got the most traction Uh, in his statements to The Verge, was the idea that there's a belief amongst a lot of people that uh, in the gaming industry, one company wants to see the other fail. Mm -hmm. And he pushed back on that. And he said, quote, that tribalism in the industry, if there's anything that would ever drive me out of the industry, it's actually that. When a team releases something into the market uh, for the world to tear apart on the internet, it's a brave thing for that team to do. I'm never going to vote against any creative team or any product to do poorly because I have a competitive product. It's not in me. And I don't actually think that helps us in the long-term of the industry. And uh, end quote. And I should say, I really took took to that because mm-hmm. Phil Spencer uh, is a very genuine person, I think, to a lot of people. I had a, the opportunity to meet him in a fan capacity. And of course, in that moment, he's very PR prepped and yeah. uh, w- was very kind. But more than that, I think while he's able to be very relatable, he's also a very good businessman. And it seems the philosophy he's taking is that rising tides lift all boats. And if he can, through Game Pass services and an Xbox One redesign, lift Xbox from the doldrums that they launched in, in 2013 to where we see them now, uh, it speaks to a prowess of leadership. And in that capacity, he's trying to work against console wars and tribalism and Uh, fighting one another if if that makes sense and i can elaborate more if you need me to
0: no no i totally i want you to um i think it's an excellent point and i this is what i've always noticed when phil spencer really took things took over on the xbox side and became the face of the brand um coming from being somebody who was always sony um i got a 360 very late late into the generation i was excited for the xbox one because i'm like okay this is gonna be my first real go at the new xbox and I remember like totally like it's yesterday where um watching them on stage at E3 revealing that giant giant VCR and talking NFL Call of Duty game or not even game TV TV TV, TV, TV 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 and to see where Phil has gone and it's going to be an interesting retrospective and I'd actually like to see you do this um on your show is a retrospective of where we will be in even just a couple of years time, looking back at when Phil took things over and how the business evolved and the positioning evolved within the business and, and Phil's take on it where he wanted to, cause it's taken a lot, right? It's taken several years of him to get to this point, um, to successfully like launch a new console fresh. We had the one X, um, but to get the series X out with game pass and leading with that, I think it's a huge, huge, you know, applause we give him because of how much he was able to turn that ship around. And again, to your point, Phil's take on trying to push out that idea of tribalism and, you know, pick this guy versus this guy. And I think we see that. Sure. It's very, it can be very PR, right. But it's, I think we also see that just within the messaging of, Hey, we want our games on everything. Um, do You mm-hmm. want to play them on your phone? We want that. We want you to play them here. We want you to play them here. And, sony taking the more traditional approach i think of well get our one singular system ecosystem it's got to be here and it reminds me that of apple in a lot of respects of you got to play our titles all of our stuff is here versus phil and xbox team trying to expand things out and say let's just reach as broad of an audience as we can do you think luke that that would have any is there any concern for pushback or that will be detrimental on the business side of things long-term because there is a little bit of conversation around like game pass is an amazing value and I mm-hmm. love it. And I'm somebody that is able to download 15 games on my series X that I've never played before and just jump in and go. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that there is an issue long-term from a business standpoint of, Hey, is this going to get sort jacking up in price too much for consumers to really obtain? We've even seen examples recently, like even here, where Netflix is now 18 bucks a month and it's, you know, it's two bucks, two bucks, two bucks. Mm -hmm. I know they have to keep that up. um, But do you think that there is a point where that's going to hurt them at all?
1: Yes, they're kind of like driving a stick shift car uh, or a manual, as some people say. Ah. You have to find the friction point. And that is is key to all of it. I do think you are are going to see a price increase for Game Pass Ultimate. I think that's inevitable. However, I think it's a little further off than we might initially have thought. uh, And that's largely due to their position in terms of of console sales. Uh, Being in, in third place did such a good thing for Microsoft when they decided to stay in the game because they had to find ways to be competitive. Right now, that comes from Uh, having a $15 subscription service in which they tie in all of the services they were already offering, but they bundle it to make it look that much more appealing. They already had Xbox Live. They already had games on PC, the Windows Store. They were building this network cloud infrastructure to combat uh, Stadia, Luna, that technology for the future so they can eventually move away from a physical box. They're working to put xCloud on TVs and on streaming sticks. They are, are, are planning for the future in the short term what we see them doing to fill out game pass and add value to that program uh, before we see a price inflation is to bring in third parties there's a, if you go and look at uh the the brilliance that is game pass right now you see a ton a ton of third party content you see a lot of of third party not exclusives but just games that are available everywhere yeah. however they're included in your bundle i the reason they're buying up those studios is so that in future, they don't need to do that in future. They can have their own studios and keep that all uh, managed within. And the idea I think is to consolidate some of the business side of things, payroll management facilities, and, and isolate those costs and manage those a bit more top down mm-hmm. so that the, the studios can crank out games and fill out that service. So they don't need to seek out Warner brothers or EA for EA play uh, or any of the major exclusives uh, and third party to, to bring over to their service.
0: And Luke, that's a big one, too, is you mentioned EA Play. So I go back to me because I am I'm kind of like I consider myself more of the the generalist of Xbox where I'm like, I'm just going to try. I want to try everything. I'll have some of those exclusive Xbox titles that I'd love to go back to like. Because again, I came late in the generation. Now I get to go and experience Halo, and I've gone back to Gears a couple of times now because I just love it. And then, like, getting the updates that we do with games like Gears. Um, mm-hmm. With Game Pass and EA Play, I thought that that was such a great move on both sides because we were getting a $5 service in EA now migrated in within Game Pass and getting this giant library that I almost felt that leading up to the launch because it was so close to the launch that it, it almost got swept under the radar a little bit that, hey, mm-hmm. by the way, we're also including this. Whereas I was kind of sitting over here going, this is incredible. NHL, mm-hmm. FIFA, like all of these games, all the Need for Speed titles. Yes, last year's, but to your point, it, it's building that library. And I think it's that idea of, hey, if we have this built in, Bethesda, All of these other companies and brands and titles that people are, they you know, they can hold themselves to and they understand and they connect with. I think that they put themselves in a very, very strong place down the road. What I wanted Mm -hmm. to follow up, though, with you is um, Game Pass specifically, and we've seen the inclusion of EA Play, um, the vast library that is in there. And sure, we're probably going to see that price go up a little bit here and there. Is there anything that they need to do to improve Game Pass, in your opinion? Do you think that there's anything that they're not doing quite right? Or is it is it just great as it is? Like, are, do they need anything else to make that sustainable model? Um, I know that they have all of the first parties, obviously. Those titles are always going to be on Game Pass. Um, but it, just curious, like, is there anything that they need to do more of or tweak or change?
1: That's a great question. When I, there's, there's a lot of things about Game Pass that it gets right simply by way of availability, because it, most of the games are available over on the xCloud side. Uh, if they're on PC, they're available on PC. And of course, all the console stuff uh, exists there. I think one thing they're working their way through right now is the ebb and flow of games in and out of the service right now we have a lot of spotlight on games entering the service and we do get notifications via xbox live or your app if a game is exiting i think they need to do a better job of spotlighting games that are going to be exiting within the next month or two yeah uh, so that you can get your time in, get your achievements they have a quest program in game pass Mm -hmm. uh, to give you xbox or, or sorry microsoft reward points which you can use to redeem gift cards and more game pass and those are really cool. That program is, I think, underutilized by players. Yeah, um, And it's still finding its way. They nerfed a lot of the points that you got a few months ago, and it's finding its balance there. Uh, I think a lot of the, the issues are not specific to Game Pass, Matt. I think actually Game Pass by itself is doing very well. Rather, uh, as they introduce these new services, these new co- new consoles, and they try to have comfortable compatibility and ecosystem across all those platforms inevitably some features get lost among the shuffle or you can't innovate as much if you turn on a playstation 5 from a playstation 4 it's immediately different i'm not saying it's better in fact i would argue in some ways it's not as good yeah Uh, but it's very different if you turn on x cloud on your phone or you go look at your series x (laughs) for your xbox one yep it's easy to navigate you see it but in that some of the shine and luster of a a new thing can be gone Um, and the app has lost some features like the ability to redeem codes Or purchase Mm -hmm. games Uh, and they did that so that they could get it onto the apple store i don't care i'm not an apple user i want to be able to purchase (laughs) my games and and it's it's just it's little stuff that is all about subtle improvement and that's the name of the game for this generation is just subtle upticks on your experience depending on where you buy in and what console you're using etc
0: and so you mentioned the, the the quests so uh, that is something that, and um, games that are going to expire, those are two things that you mentioned that I genuinely look at and I'm like, I need, I want those cleaned up and highlighted more. I think the Quest options within uh, Xbox is a really, really cool feature idea. Collecting points is it works for so many companies across different, you know, avenues entirely um, that can get it right. I think it gets a little bit lost because even for somebody like me and a general consumer, I think if you're very casual with it, you're never clicking on it. Like you just, you don't even know what it is. And even if you do Mm -hmm. hit great redeem, I don't even know where it went. Oh, it's in my Microsoft account. So now what do I do? I got to go on the app. I don't have the app. So now I got to, and it goes down from there where I see your point of, I think that they could do themselves a favor by really cleaning that up to a point where maybe it's very defined of like, this many points will get you game pass for a month, this many goes to, or like you're you're banking them on a wish list for a specific title and you mm-hmm. want to work towards that. Um, things like that. But I do, I like the idea. I think it's really good. Um, and it differentiates them from the competition. I think it, it does something a little bit more unique. I think also your other point of having expiry times on the games that are exiting game pass is a mm-hmm. big thing that they need to add in. I, I have the app, I download it, like I use it Almost right, like daily, get the notifications, and I can see when games are leaving. But it is that, okay, oh, that's leaving in whatever, 30 days, 20 days. Eh, you don't even notice it until you want it, and then it's gone. And it would be nice if they had like a countdown clock or something. Um, Well,
1: Game Pass has a visibility problem. Um, They've done. Gangbuster numbers, they're over 50 million subscribers. Mm-hmm. 70% of new consoles sold series S and X are attached to Game Pass, meaning that for 70% of the people that upgraded into a new console for this new generation, they're already, or, or buying into now, Game Pass. In that, when you have over 100 titles, I think it's closer to 200 right now, visibility is a problem. How do you spotlight certain sets of games? When do you spotlight them? Indie games, mm-hmm. AAA games... Uh, right now, the big name of the game is is Control. Control is coming out on Friday. But there's also another game launching Day and Date into there. Uh, Haven I think it's called mm-hmm. Day and Date into Game Pass. Very few people know about it. I don't even know if it's good. But my <laughs> point is, they're putting eighteen games in at once, which yeah. is fantastic. The service just gets more and more valuable, same way they do when they add Disney Plus or EA Play, Bethesda, etc. But things get lost in the shuffle. There are incredible games in Game Pass that are there for people to just pick at and try try out that nobody's ever heard of and won't see unless they scroll or they happen to, to get bored and check a certain certain box that they're interested in. And I would love for them to do a better job at spotlighting some of those games. And it's the Blockbuster problem. When you walk down the halls in sure. Blockbuster way back in the day, I, you get tunnel vision and you only see a certain type of cover or a certain type of genre and you miss out on something that could be a gem right there for you. So it's a, it's a genuine visibility problem that I don't have a great solution solution for suggesting other than to tie quests to specific games more so than they already do.
0: I think another thing they could do is look at, um, like you said, for spotlighting, maybe looking at hours played or something that is connecting with Game Pass users to say like, maybe this indie title is getting huge traction, but it doesn't actually get spotlighted Literally within the whole library because it's so Mm -hmm. far down that people aren't like. We want more people to see this because it's doing so well. Maybe they are games, smaller games that are really, really huge online, but Mm -hmm. mainstream hasn't really touched it. So they can try to figure out something to be able to, like you said, to spotlight that, to bring that to the forefront. Because that's that be that is my issue is I'm looking at the main catalog, I go into Game Pass, and I can see the different categories of games. Well, it's all of the heavy hitters and the bangers. It's the blockbuster of like, here are the new releases and the best sellers, And those are the ones that they want you to click. And that's fine because we need that. However, we I want to be able to experience games that are low on the radar, that are these niche titles. that someone's like, the mechanics are amazing. Like they are strong, strong titles that we need to give more of a chance so mm-hmm. that developers can make the next version of that game. And then they don't lose out. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you though, too, was on the on the topic of Game Pass and those services and games as a service, I know that you're so big into the Xbox ecosystem, but I did want to poke your brain about PlayStation. And sure. with PlayStation Now, the PlayStation collection that they have and their PlayStation Now service, why can't Sony get it right? Like, why can't, in my opinion, Xbox has done an amazing job marketing Game Pass since it, in, it, its inception and before that leading up to it and now and look where we are today the playstation service has been out longer and Mm. it to me as a playstation owner and user i've tried it man it and it worked fine great i have great internet i wasn't Mm. my concern but why do you think it's not clicking with with the playstation audience like game pass seems to maybe it's just a perception thing
1: no i i think you're you're on to something there but it's not working because they don't need it to work um it's simple but the reason so many of your of your experiences on the Xbox side in terms of ecosystem are so uh, so impressive are because they haven't had the games to match uh, Sony, and so they had to incentivize somehow, and so they put a lot of resources into to those things. That's part of it. The other part is when you're making money hand over fist, selling 110 million PlayStation 4s, uh, selling PlayStation 5s like hotcakes as fast as you can make them, and you've got a first-party slate as strong as they do, mm-hmm. the need to innovate is less urgent and I think that's that's more the point I was trying to make about Xbox they had a very strong need to innovate after 2013 uh, 2013 2014 and 2015 things were not looking good so they had to innovate or die and they did they did it very successfully and Sony is their feet are not held to the fire when you make god of war you are forgiven <laughs> for making kill strain and then uh what was the other they shut down one from david jaffe drawn to death i think yeah they shut down a ton of studios last last generation lots of games uh did very poorly and shuttered but but we don't think about them and really nor should we when you have something as high quality as horizon zero dawn or god of war uh, which i believe to be the best game ever made Um, when you make those things you are excused from from not catching up in other aspects case in point nintendo uh they are so behind the times in their mm-hmm. technology in their services for for modern gamers the hd uh, 4k era the <laughs> their online infrastructure it's it's pathetically online weak. infrastructure right <laughs> but they have mario and they have mario kart and they yep. have smash brothers and, and they're Zelda making and money hand over fit. And, yeah. there you go and so the need to innovate. Uh, comes by way of urgency, and there's no urgency in PlayStation by comparison to where it was for Xbox. Uh, The reason that the PlayStation 4 was so successful is they had urgency after a pretty frustrating PS3 generation. That cell cell processor uh, core thing did not work the way they wanted it to. It was very difficult to develop for. That, by the way, to your point about PlayStation Now, that's why you're having compatibility issues with PlayStation 3 games, is it's just Mm -hmm. not easy to emulate uh, and to get over onto your your modern systems, they just it just doesn't want to work as nearly as well, and they had to fix and correct issues from that monstrously huge grill of a PlayStation Three, and they got it right by the end. Like it really was a much, very clean system.
0: Yeah. Now we got this so, big uh, wingtip. Yeah. Like, she's she's going out. She's she's feathering. That's out. a very like, she, she, isn't it? She is. Um, uh, she's a dandy. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down there. Uh it's it's too big. It's too big of it that PS five is just monstrous. Oh, we could have gone bigger. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. It's it's just rough. It's just rough. Big girl. Um yeah, I'm offended by how big the PlayStation Five is. <laughs> I mean, it's over there. I have one, and I'm I played Miles, and Miles is great. Yeah. It's just it's too big. It is too big, and uh...
0: it is a whole shelf in my entertainment console. It's no joke. Like the, and I have a fairly large unit, like for where all that stuff is supposed to go, and mm-hmm. it's its own shelf. And then my Xbox is tilted on the side, and it's just it's just kind of tucked over there, just getting a little warm, and it was fine.
1: You know, we, we talked a couple of minutes ago about tribalism mm-hmm. and that console war esque, and I think what's been what that goes back to is the the unnecessary heat that people will take for offering criticism towards any of the brands that that are, exist in our in our gaming verse. And I think that's really foolish when people tie their self worth to the one console they may be able to afford and chose to purchase. Yep. Um, finances finances and availability are a big reason why people do and don't have consoles. And when you're faced with either of those two things and that that stop you from being fortunate enough to get both, you have to choose what's best for you. And when we give anger or heat or attack people for picking one, I I find that to be very childish and boring and I I have no interest in it. I run an Xbox show Mm -hmm. by choice. I enjoy it. That's an ecosystem that I celebrate Gears and Halo speak to me. Sea of Thieves speaks to me. I love State of Decay. Genuinely love those franchises. Yeah. But goodness gracious, Matt! Miles Morales, a joy. Uh, I didn't know think Best game ever made. Yep. I did not enjoy The Last of Us Two, but it is in, in, in a masterpiece of a game.
0: That's an interesting um, title too, Luke. Because I, I'm kind of with you. I, I played Last of Us Part Two, and I played it once, and I had a great experience, and I was done. And I looked at it almost like it was a it was a novel, and it was a movie, and a, I watched it, mm-hmm. and I was done. And I, I have no desire to go back I, to that as a game. That's going to be game of the year, but sorry, keep going.
1: Well, no, I, and when you have opinions that are polar or, or what people are too often refer to as hot takes and such, mm-hmm. uh, something like mine, of not really liking last of us two. And people have a go at you for what it is you enjoy and want to celebrate. I, I have no interest in that argument. I will joke around with my friends in, in our parties and yeah. have, and, and tease each other. But uh, African and Hometown in the chat right now. Those are two guys that I play Call of Duty and CFCs with all the time. We just played Gears earlier, but we play with one of our best friends, Joe, on his PlayStation. And that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. Like we're cross-playing and like, what better feeling? And, uh, you know, my, my buddy Kev always teases me because I love Crackdown 3. I love yeah, that I game. <laughs> Had so much fun with it. I, I, I really did. Um, but, liking a game doesn't mean that you're speaking to its quality you're saying it's fun for you and why should we ever get truly like in seriously upset over enjoying yeah. something or somebody else enjoying something that's the tribalism aspect of when it becomes vicious and personal uh, it really does does frustrate feel, me
0: feel it's a very interesting thing because people are passionate about their consoles about the things they enjoy but there are other things I've thought of this so many times too. I'm like, there's so many other things in the world, in our lives, in our daily lives that we enjoy, but we don't get as passionate or as loud as we do when it comes other than game consoles, it seems. And it, maybe it is just because we are all in like you and I are here, people in Twitch, people online. We're all in this mm-hmm. looking at this because we enjoy it. We enjoy the conversation. We enjoy playing games. Um but I just feel like we don't get the same, we don't get riled up by other things that are going on outside of the bubble of gaming that we do. I don't see people get mad about cars this way. Now, I am not in the car industry. Maybe that there are, maybe there are just Reddit threads where people are destroying each other because you, you drove a Civic. But mm. I don't feel it's the exact same thing. The only other medium it always feels like we, we compare to is movies. Um, to go how can you like this not like this how did you not like how did you like this part etc um and people get really really passionate about that and it's great like it's not a bad thing to be passionate about it but it's it's perspective right of like why are you getting mad at luke or me or whatever for um playing this game or liking this or saying that maybe you know, last of us I, I don't think it should be game of the year and getting people getting destroyed in comments and threads and so on i'll be like how could you it's the greatest thing ever and you go that's, that's fantastic. Glad it is. It's just, it's one person's really? opinion. And I think we often lose perspective that it's all just opinions of the gaming industry. And if we look at even um, other gaming websites and stuff and outlets that are looking at Game of the Year, it's like people's rankings are different. What they mm-hmm. consider to be their top games are different. And even the people that are coming to those conclusions mm-hmm. and voting, they all have their own personal base. That's good. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I think that the tribalism thing is a is a big issue. And I feel like we're we're heading in the right direction. But, um, yeah, go ahead. What did you think?
1: Well, I think we're, you, you know, the, you started off your statement by saying, is it just in gaming or does it feel like it's just in gaming that we see some of this vitriolic nature and this polarization um, and I think part of that is our echo chamber because we are on social media. We share social media spaces on Twitter and Twitter's fairly active for politics, mm-hmm. for sports and for video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to a lesser extent, I think you could argue movies and whatnot, at least in the chambers that I tend to echo in, I suppose. Uh, in other places, I'm sure it's, there are other mediums that get excited. And as I get older, and become a bit more on my feet and stable and confident in who I am and in my purchases, et cetera. I just have less and less interest in the need to justify what I spend my adult money on uh, for things. (laughs) Those arguments started on, uh, we always say, on the playground, Sega kid, Nintendo kid, uh, before the internet, before Mm -hmm. people were making their own money and, and their parents could only buy them one or whatnot. And over time, we grow out of that. Now that it's a mainstream entertainment piece, Gaming's everywhere. It's the most popular entertainment platform or uh, entertainment delivery system on the planet by far. And that's a pretty cool thing. And there are so many ways to access it. Phones, PCs, consoles. Uh, It it just seems like a tired exercise and yet people dive into it. And every time one of us, and I say one of us is content creators or gamers, people with a voice on any level, small or large, whenever we retweet or respond, or uh do anything that, uh, that offers acknowledgement to those discussions, we're actually amplifying that message. And so it's hard to stay out of it sometimes. In fact, I would argue maybe my show would be even more popular if I would be uh if I would be a little bit more vitriolic. Uh, but those aren't people I want to spend my time with. Yeah. I don't want to enjoy, I don't like that. I like hanging out with my buddies Kev and Charles and Joe and just talking about. Games on any platform and, and giving each other jokes, but never being mean. That's that's what I that's what I like.
0: I think that adds into it um, the, the coming of age piece, because as you get older and your time is much more valuable, um, I think you and I can both relate. I think a lot of people can kind of just like, OK, we have work and we have mm-hmm. responsibilities and we have more work and we have maybe projects or side businesses or whatever that mm-hmm. we enjoy, that we focus on. And then we have our downtime and that's gaming or it's exercise, it's whatever. Um, and your time is so much more limited and it's like you're a kid and you have no money. So you have so much more time to voice Sega versus Nintendo, right? Xbox versus Sony and spend mm-hmm. time on the internet, which every 13 year old has a phone. I shouldn't say everybody, but <laughs> a lot of them have phones. And so it's very, very easy to jump online and get into these debates. And I think as you just get older, you kind of pull back a little bit more, or at least it's healthy to, to mm-hmm. keep that perspective of, yeah, I just want to enjoy my stuff and hang out with my buddies and play Sea of Thieves right. and play Gears and right. go to bed <laughs> and, and yeah. and back out and I want to have a good time. And I think it, social media as itself, and that's a whole other conversation, but, um, I think Twitter specifically is an interesting beast. Um, with seeing like documentaries and articles and everything about how all the content is messaging is curated and does get kind of geared towards your perspective, your view, and then your Google and everything else is, is all kind of Mm -hmm. molded into one to kind of reinforce your thinking, your beliefs and so on. Um, I get way more stuff on gaming now and everything else keeps popping up on my timeline that I keep engaging on engaging on. Um, I think it does also play into like how, who and what you surround yourself with. If you're Mm -hmm. thinking of, If you're engaging with people that are more positive and wanting to hang out with that, I find that it tends to kind of all bubble together a little bit and then it sticks out even more. But if you are somebody that maybe is on more of the negative side that likes to reach out and go, this game sucks, I didn't like this, I hated this, I don't like this, I think that all of that then starts to echo even louder um, and it becomes a bigger, bigger problem.
1: Well, I can tell you that more than once with my gaming group, we've fallen into that trap ourselves uh joking about you know like i there's a game that i don't like that my friends like that i just i have no interest in playing with them and vice versa Mm. and in in the course of jest things actually became accidentally too heated in those moments and that's the difference between being friends uh, with people and being online in those moments where it accidentally becomes too heated you can check each other and be like whoa uh mm, too much man that's my game yep and and it was at that point i realized i needed to stop teasing my buddy about liking borderlands three which is a great game but like i right. didn't want to play it you know what i mean it's like whatever I, I and didn't so borderlands. yeah i didn't either but that's just <laughs> like so what he's having yeah. a blast i need to not be a jerk about it and that's the difference i think between friends and those those nameless avatars that you have in the social media space mm-hmm. and nobody's going to clean up the gaming space except gamers so we have to be be so, careful with how we how we approach those discussions.
0: So what needs to get cleaned up? Uh,
1: well, <laughs> that's a very, a very I'm good sorry that question. It's such
0: a large, broad stroke question. But what, what well, sticks out to you by asking that of like what needs to get cleaned up right now? A,
1: a lot of things, Matt. And I, um, and I and I will I will not tread I'll tread carefully only in my wording, but my meaning, I mean, steadfast and, and strong here. We need to continue working as gamers to make the gaming space more diverse uh, and bringing in more marginalized voices into the gaming space. And when I say into the gaming space, I don't just mean uh, streamers, podcasters, content creators. I mean it on the development side as well. And that's something that, again, we go back to the tribalism discussion. Mm-hmm. That's something that Phil Spencer has consistently talked about, uh, bringing more people of color into the development side, the leadership positions within yep. Microsoft uh that's making the rounds right now if you're familiar zombie kills is working very hard to see that uh women of color are, are being spotlighted more and she's getting a lot of flack for it we need warriors in that space that are good representatives of the gaming community to to bring people together and rough through these continuously frustrating times and exposing the the silliness that many people portray yeah and once we expose it and shine light on it uh, it's very hard for darkness to, to to exist in a space where light's constantly being shined. And so we need to continue diversifying the gaming space, allowing people of all types, uh, of all gender persuasions, identities, purposes, whatever it is they're, they're they, who they want to be. They need to see themselves in games. And we need to do our best to celebrate it with them as we're able within our adult lives. Um, you don't have to listen to every podcast that somebody puts out mine included. You don't have to watch every episode of something, yep. but amplifying the voices for positivity, the voices for change, for growth is important. And then real talk. Uh, I think it's important for us to reflect on who we are. There are words I used at 25 that I would never mm-hmm. touch now at 35. Yep. Um, And I used to, when I was in 15 or 12, I'd be like, oh, that's gay. I would say those things, Matt. And i can't even imagine saying it and thinking and i never meant for it to be assaulting or hurtful it was just a no. 12-year-old banter but it was hurtful and it was wrong and we have to be willing to reflect on ourselves and learn from it and uh that's how you i think those are some ways that you work to to fix gaming i guess but report things hmm. note things and then the onus is on those those caretakers of ecosystem the people behind uh, Xbox Live behind Twitter behind PlayStation Network managing those the people behind Call of Duty and Fortnite the people who are spending dollars to promote certain streamers and certain content creators are they the message that you want to send and that's that's such a big topic man and I, I, I feel like I'm hitting all these different aspects but
0: no I'm with you I think that it's it, it's a great point of needing more representation not only in the video games themselves Um, but the people behind the scenes and getting them more prominently showcased on bigger platforms, on bigger stages. Um, And to your point, getting them to actually be recognized within games and and allowing characters to be more relatable within games. Miles Morales, I felt like was a really great example of this. Um, I absolutely love that game. And you can talk about, um, you know, length of the game or story beats and so on. That's one piece. What I, I loved how diverse that game was. And, Mm -hmm how much emphasis they put on it, but didn't do it in a way that felt like you were trying to push an agenda of any kind or trying to Mm -hmm. single out any different thing. For example, black lives matter on Mm -hmm. banners on t-shirt, like within the game itself. um, You characters who don't, who are deaf. Yeah. Like I loved that. And that was a great example. The character was, was it Haley?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I love that because, and I said this on one of my episodes too, but like, I love that piece within the game because it wasn't obvious. It wasn't trying to focus on that aspect. It was a relationship that Miles had within his community and they just talked and it wasn't at all like, oh, you, you are doing sign language. Hey, I know sign language too, or I'm going to learn sign language as a side mission or anything trivial like that. It was, baked into the the whole game and the universe itself and that I think that a lot of developers can take good cues of that piece of storytelling not mm-hmm. having to say we need to have a a um biracial character or a gay character or whatever to mm-hmm. have them as a focal point because then I think you do end up with the risk of the backlash of like well why are you doing it this way um seeing more and more female characters the taking idea- lead roles I think is Really, really awesome, um, and I think it's getting games to a point and the industry to a point where we're not having to. Um, people aren't aren't shying away from that or feeling like that's an issue. Like, oh, why is there mm-hmm. a woman playing this role? I think now more than ever, people are into it.
1: I think one of the things that makes Miles Morales one of the such a compelling character is that he's his own character. He's not a gender or race swap character. He he didn't exist. As Peter Parker before, and they made Peter Parker black or biracial or anything of that nature. Right, he's his own character, and I think that speaks all the more to the credibility of uh, who he is and, and the power of influence. I mean, that he can have over people, young people uh, in the real world, to be inspired by him. And I think that's the the big thing about Miles that stands out to me. He's not a gender swapped character or a race swapped character. He's his own character, and that is, to me, so exciting to see and hear. Um, and, and the irony of of two white guys talking about this is not <laughs> lost on me. But I think those th- these conversations yeah. are as important as putting uh, more marginalized voices in front of a microphone and a camera and letting their voices speak out. Because it it, I, I would hope that it offers a, a place of traversal for people who are doubtful or. or need the conversation to get where they're going Mm -hmm. if that makes sense you we all need a guide sometimes through troubled waters and if you're in troubled waters there there are ways to get out of that um yeah that's that's, what a big topic where xbox is cool i like this bigger topic it's more important
0: i do too i actually like that and i think that'll be actually probably our next one that we do if we can do another one together um dude i'm coming
1: back i hope so
0: (laughs) i hope so too um Luke, I know you don't have a lot of time, so I did want to be able to wrap up with you. Uh, let us know what are your top three games that you are... Hmm, give me one that you're playing right now that you're really into, and give me another two that you are looking forward to either by the end of the year or going into 2021.
1: Oh, goodness gracious. Um, right now... <laughs> all right, this is a big topic, too. Uh, <laughs> I'm playing Immortals right now. Okay. And uh, I'm really liking where I'm at with it at the moment there's there's some control scheme issues I have with it but I'm liking it. it's very light-hearted mm-hmm. which really helps because the other anticipated game that everyone seems to have on their list is cyberpunk 2077 yep and I have no real affinity for cyberpunk aesthetic or steampunk aesthetic yep and that world looks very dark and the game seems very intimidating to me same uh, because of its fat, va- you know it's huge just how I mean Witcher 3 was so incredible but but it was huge, it's huge. right it's a big yeah. undertaking So I'm liking the casual, uh, exciting but chill version that that Immortals offers. I think people are really going to like that if they go to it for the right reasons. It has the unfortunate fate of Ubisoft putting it out after two more open-world games that they released next to Cyberpunk. It's it's very frustrating there. But I'm enjoying that game. I'm looking forward to Cyberpunk Uh, in the new year. There's a lot that I'm looking forward to. Uh, Halo Infinite seems to be the one that uh i often talk about because i plan to be playing it right now and i have my room adorned with so many halo things <laughs> um but the other big one is gotham knights
0: oh Man. yeah okay yes that's I, I, off my radar but yeah
1: well it's fallen off because everything we had new consoles we and we had delays <laughs> <laughs> and but uh i my favorite game of this past generation and matt i have a few minutes if you're willing but i, yeah, um, I will stick around for a little bit longer if you're willing to let me yes, um sir. My favorite game of this generation was Arkham Knight. That doesn't mean it's, I think it's the best one or anything else, but I had the most fun. I just yep. love Arkham Knight. How many times have you replayed that? At least three. Thank you. Um, on PlayStation 4, I think I platinumed it on PlayStation. No, I, I didn't. I, the DLCs kind of throw it off because yeah. I have more than one Ked on Xbox. Uh, I have replayed through the Arkham Collection on both PS4 and Xbox. I, of course, I did it on 360 and PS3. I recently <laughs> bought a 360 uh so that i could play the arcade version of Ar uh, black eight wow uh, yeah yeah that's not good no nope. um <laughs> that's a good <command>. but i <laughs> but i really like the arkham games a lot and i just i love that that verse i, I mean, i've never read all the comics for arkham and, and batman too but uh yeah i'm really excited for gotham knights and and what they're going to do with those characters there and uh i'm very worried about suicide squad Oh yeah, I really me too. am. I'm Avengers really... really just put a taste in my mouth for for games and service hero games.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think I don't know. I'm hopeful. I have to be hopeful, but I I am I'm looking forward to Gotham Knights because I hope that that game is what uh, the Arkham series was doing with their co op elements, where they'd have Robin jump in and you would tag team certain scenarios with yeah. Batman, and you weren't actually co oping the whole thing, but you could just do some finishers together um maybe being able to have those story arcs where it is going to be you know one two three i'd be totally into that for like a 40 hour experience with these characters and the risk is that not focused on batman that he'll be in the story but not as the main character i think that having that full supporting cast is yeah. is a great way to kind of get around that of people being like oh so it's not batman so what is it but rock city has done an amazing job over the Course of what now 10 years plus with the arkham series to get them where they are that people trust trust that and and trust those games and trust you know what what can be done with a game like um like that so i'm hopeful we'll
1: see. I'm, it's funny I don't, I don't know how you feel about uh, uh marvel's avengers right now particularly in the wake of Fortnite getting so much but um uh, my buddy kevin and i often talk about um Avengers and we argue with with our buddies about whether or not it was a good game, a bad game. Okay. And there's so many pieces of Avengers that that game gets right and just parts piece, pieces where it misses so badly. What do they get and right y- for you? well I, I, can I think I've, I've
0: been into Avengers and I've talked about this a ton even today on an episode, but what what do they get right for you?
1: They, I think they nailed their single player campaign yep. uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. That was a really I mean, I could not have cared less about Kamala Khan. Um and I don't like stretchy powers and I I think Mr. Fantastic silly and I never really enjoyed yep, that but you. but it, but she was a great and compelling character and I really thought their first their their single player narrative was great. Um I think they got the feel of some characters really nailed at a certain point but you have to level up Thor before he feels like Thor. You have to level up Iron Man. Yep. And once he do he feels like Iron Man and it's dope. But yep. It took too long, right? And so they nailed the late game feeling for a lot of them. But then once I'm in late game, the game falls apart. I don't, I don't care about loot grinding at all. Um,
0: I try. I don't to. care. I can't. I don't have the time for it. And I'm like, just, just let me be Iron Man. Like, just let exactly. me blow and blast them guys. I'm fine.
1: And that's why my live service game of choice to see if these because there's mm-hmm. it's equal progression. Like you, you, nobody's ever more powerful than you. Mm. Um, which, which is you know, good and bad uh but my buddy kevin and i often talk about like we're looking forward to uh wakanda black panther when he releases we're hopeful that uh that game can be salvaged because there are elements of it that i like i liked being an avenger with my buddies that was fun the robots sick of them the enemies all two of them they were cool and the two fighting bosses. the abomination again if Oh, want a tank time yeah there's taskmaster it's, it's fine oh yeah yeah really? so it's, it's, it's such a frustrating game because it's like how could you put so many resources into building this great thing and not know
0: and how do you not have this i talked about this today but like um with Fortnite having galactus and the 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 marketing strategy behind Fortnite is it's astounding to me that marvel's avengers doesn't it's a vent it's marvel right. and their movies are amazing um, Amazing, a billion-dollar blockbusters, and they have that property. And Fortnite puts Marvel characters out, and Mandalor and Galactus, and people mm-hmm. are losing their minds over it. And it's just a quick little playthrough, and then now you're into this, and you got Mandalorian and Baby Yoda running around, and Fortnite, and it's a skin. And mm-hmm. but people love it, and mm-hmm. I think it's just so. It's kudos to Fortnite for doing such an amazing job of marketing their game, marketing these characters in a way that is appealing to such a broad audience where I'm looking at Marvel's Avengers going like, why? Why don't you have Doctor Doom in your game as a DLC boss fight? Like, anything. Give me something. And to lead with Kate Bishop DLC coming up in six days, right before Cyberpunk, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, they're doing comic book style progression for the story arcs, like for the DLC coming out for, for Marvel's Avengers. I like that. And I'm hopeful that it's good and it's supposed to have a good, you know, thread, story thread throughout. But I'm like, how come Fortnite can get this so right? And Avengers is is missed the mark with that property.
1: It's very strange because when you look at a lot of the Marvel games released, you had Ultimate Alliance 3, which had everybody from all yeah. teams, all brands of Marvel. Spider-Man was in there. X-Men. Uh, the Avengers, of course, were there. All the villains from the various, you know, the, the rogue galleries for each character and fortnite has a number of different characters uh batman's in fortnite then you have all the marvels (laughs) avengers x-men spider uh, Spider spider-man is only weeks away at this point we're seeing kratos and playstation invested 250 million dollars in so i think you'll see spider-man there and i have to wonder when it comes to marvel's avengers i wonder where the bump in the road was because we see these characters in other places. Why not this one? What was it? Was it square Enix? Was it Mm. uh, the inability to spend money in certain places? Was it a matter of caretaking? Were they trying to work out Spider-Man and, and exclusivity rights and narratives Were they trying to figure out uh, if they wanted merge universe with insomniacs games, what was it they were trying to figure out that kept them from doing what they wanted to do. And I don't, know what it could have been uh but the the enemy variety the fact that it's all robots and clones suggests to me there was some hiccup from some executive that didn't want the avengers beating up some sort of, uh, of real life element uh, yeah. in some way but uh, it, it really frustrates me it really does because spider-man is exclusive to the playstation ecosystem yeah okay very frustrated when that announcement came out Less than 3 million people bought the game across all platforms. Yep. Hmm, now We've you have a problem.
0: 95 percent, 97 percent of your audience to date. Right.
1: Spider-Man will bring back some people and they're talking and they, they mentioned in the last, I think, War Table, they call it that crossplay is coming. All right. How are you going to handle that? What are you going to do with yeah, that? You're going to gray it, is... out Spider-Man on Xbox? is miles allowed to be on all platforms but peter isn't because that's a loophole okay yeah yeah. you know like how do you find a way to do that and then what's the point of bringing in spider-man are you bringing in his rogues with him because then you've got something on there kingpins uh, assembling with green goblin and uh, venoms there i don't know how do you work around that and i don't know what the answer is and i don't know that they know either yeah and it just they didn't learn any of the lessons from anthem and anthem did Iron Man, right? The Anthem's gameplay was top notch. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Once it once they cleaned up the patch, uh, sorry, the the performance issue. Anthem's gameplay was incredible. Flying was incredible. They missed their all their late game stuff. Didn't learn lessons from Destiny. Avengers didn't learn that from them. How many times do we need that lesson?
0: And, and how come how come a game like Avengers with console launch, they are quiet? And you have a Marvel property sitting there. You don't put out Black Panther DLC that has, you know, supposedly been in the works for quite some time and then held off, obviously. But how do you not get something put together where you're going to go, look, there's new consoles launching. We have our game on both systems. People need stuff to play. What? Let's Mm -hmm. get, we need them to play our game because our numbers are tanking. Let's give them a reason too. because if you had Marvel's Avengers with launch week of the consoles, and you had the Kate Bishop DLC or something like mm-hmm. to me, I'm like, give us a giant overhaul patch with some DLC, hype it up two weeks before that gives a guy like me, the ability to sit there and go, well, I have played Assassin's Creed. I've done a ton of stuff on game pass. Um, I played Spider-Man, like what, what else? Hey, I can jump into Avengers cause they got brand new stuff this week to go along with it with maybe the next gen updates to go with it. Instead, it's mm-hmm. nothing. Kate Bishop DLC announced for later, right with Cyberpunk, and we don't get updates for next gen consoles until next year. It's like, mm-hmm. and the game's thirty bucks right now for Black Friday Cyber Monday week. Like, it's it's not good. It's not a good scene.
1: the The, the real frustrating point about all of that is that thirty bucks is a great price mm-hmm. for a Kamala Khan story. Yes, and that girl's not getting that that entire. Campaign was neglected in favor of spotlighting the end game, where you could be the Avengers. But the game, the the single player campaign, is not about playing the Avengers. It's about playing Kamala Khan and uniting the Avengers. And that just seems lost on so much of that marketing and, and wasted money. If they had spotlighted this as a Kamala Khan game and a launch pad for Avengers, they would have had a very different success rate. And as far as the performance and the launch windows and things like that, um, I think pandemic had a lot to do with that because yep. people had to pivot way back in early March and then by late March it was like oh the United States finally figured it out ish um but they but the gaming industry realized okay we need to to reset and figure out that we need to be, have people work from home we got to find a way to transfer files that are in mass like you know yeah massive amounts of data back and forth for QA and that's the real hang up is those choke points of information but it seems to me as I play Avengers, as I play Call of Duty, which crashes my Xbox Series X every time. Really? When I pl- yeah, when I play Watchdogs, which would have been one of my favorite games of this year. Yeah, had it I not- was
0: watching you. You were talking about that so much that you're like, "This is my game." You know, an XCast. You're like, "This is my game." Like you mm-hmm. love that thing,
1: eh? Sure did. Lost. I've lost six hours total of time on that game in various chunks, mm-hmm. and when I see that consistently happen, Valhalla is having performance issues. Dirt 5 was, was was having performance issues. And I don't mean the PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X stuff. I don't care about that. Um, But when they're having those issues, it speaks to me that an executive is tone deaf or a studio is going to go under if they can't hit launch and get some re- revenue coming in. Yeah. And when I, when I think about the latter example there, I'm reminded of why Game Pass is so comforting because it gives developers, uh, some of them, Take a deal where they get money up front some of them take money uh, a deal where they get some money up front and more with incentives based on time played um which is an interesting thing based on time played and, and incentives and whatnot because microsoft controls who they spotlight which is also interesting right um but when i think about that method of, of putting things out on subscription services versus a studio going under if they don't put out their next twin stick shooter and get that in revenue to make sure that those developers that, that that 10 man, 20 man team can feed their families dinner. That's a big and different discussion. And so uh, I wonder how much of that had to do with some of these release dates, but in large part with the triple A's, it's like those are just greedy companies. They should have they should have delayed some of those games because they shouldn't have launched in the state that they did with the problems they did.
0: Yeah. Well Luke, give me <laughs> give me something uh, positive though. Give me one high note before we wrap up here. I got you for another minute or so, but give me one piece of positivity and news that you want to throw at us going forward.
1: There is so much to be happy about in the gaming space right now. And I mean that wholeheartedly, no paintering whatsoever. Right now, if you are able to, through finances or availability to get a next-gen console, you have an immense amount of things to play. If you're on PlayStation, the, the instant game collection is there and it is full of, of incredible AAA single player experiences and you should absolutely dive in on any of them Uh, if you've got a playstation 5 if you've got an xbox series s or x those are incredibly well engineered machines that will streamline your gaming experience you should absolutely have game pass with hundreds of titles that you can play and that's a lot to celebrate in and of itself Mm -hmm. but moreover if through finances or availability you weren't able to get them you can still play most of what you what's available right now on your PlayStation 4 or your Xbox One. And that, to me, is very comforting to know that when I got my Series X, I didn't miss out on my buddies or playing out with my friends. There's cross-play right now. When I got when my buddies got their Series Xs, they got them two days ahead of me. We still got to play Sea of Thieves. Mm-hmm. We still get to play Call of Duty with our buddy on PlayStation. There's so much to be happy about. And uh, if I could have a call to action for any of you listening tweet or email the developers of the games you like and let them know even if it's a a big game especially if it's a small game there's a lot to be happy about in the gaming space particularly in a year that hasn't had a lot of bright spots so that's my that's my my thing to look at that's happy that i'm happy about
0: love it (laughs) luke tell everybody in the chat where can they find you where can they follow you and lurk with you look (laughs) at you
1: (laughs) there's nowhere to lurk at the moment because i, I did take a break on streaming True. uh at the moment however if you enjoyed my content here you can follow me on twitter at insipid ghost that's a uh, insipid ghost on psn and xbox live as well but really it would mean the world to me if you check out my podcast which is on itunes spotify stitcher pandora all the podcast services it's called the xbox expansion pass and uh really and truly it just means the world when when people check it out and uh, I'm grateful for you having me on Matt. Thank you for letting me be here at the start of what is absolutely going to be a successful uh, endeavor. Nice. I, I love your content. I watch you on Twitter. I've watched you stream. I don't know why it wasn't set to follow. So I apologize for that. <laughs> it's okay. um,
0: appreciate you. Seriously. Appreciate you coming on, giving us all this time and the extra time as well. Um, I think that you and I could talk a lot more about other things within the industry and, bigger topics because i think there's more to be had
1: well please have me back and i and i know a few uh new streamers as well who uh would probably be great guests as well it's it's the gaming community is amazing and so many great voices to celebrate
0: luke thank you so much for being on the show i really really appreciate it i am excited to have you back um thank you very much for all of your time and uh we will chat again soon Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Take care. I sincerely thank all of you guys for taking the time to watch, to hang out, to grab a beer, to grab a coffee, maybe a muffin or some sort of Danish, and to be able to hang out with me and Luke today. Next week, we have Asa from Borderline Entertainment joining us on Monday's show. And I'm really, really looking forward to that because I'm going to be working out some ideas with Asa to be able to talk about. It might be games. It might not be. I haven't really decided. But I'm having a lot of fun, guys. I seriously enjoy this. Thank you all for joining. And thank you guys for assembling with us. See ya.